But even in the U.S., if you look back, the older generation, you look at people in their 50s, 60s, they'll tell you that they grown up. They didn't have shoe like, you know, I'm looking at my kids nowadays. They have all these shoes, but I'm looking at even my generation, my parent generation, maybe your parent generation. People who grew up in the 60s, 50s, they would love to be outside, play barefoot. That's what we are built. That's what we are, the human body designed to do. It's just nowadays, it's just the fact that we have been told we have the preconceived notion that we need shoe, we need support, we need cushion for everything we do in life. What's up, guys? Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the podcast. Before we start, this is a quick announcement to let you guys know that I'm dropping bonus episodes on Auxoro Premium. For less than $5 per month when you sign up for the year, you get a two-hour bonus episode every month of my show, The Aux, that covers exciting and sometimes twisted topics like MK Ultra, the COVID lab leak hypothesis, Tim Dillon, Tom Cruise, the Tuskegee experiment, the obesity epidemic, and more. You also get monthly solo episodes with my takes on drugs, sex, money, creativity, mindfulness, and you have the ability to submit topic suggestions for both of my shows, The Aux and The Auxoro Podcast. Expect three hours of new exclusive podcast content per month, including access to all archived episodes found nowhere else but Auxoro Premium. Visit auxoro.supercast.com to sign up today. This is the best deal in podcasting. Three hours of exclusive podcast content to punch you in the motherfucking mouth every month for less than five bucks. No half-assed episodes here. Go to auxoro.supercast.com to join the premium gang today. What's going on, guys? This time I sat down with Vincent Vu of Kinnis Shoes. And no, I did not mean that to rhyme, but it did. Let me tell you a little bit about the background of this episode and why I chose to talk to Vincent for this, you know, hour plus, hour and a half long conversation. So about a year and a half ago, this is what, it's December 2021. So yeah, this this was probably around... July, August 2020, somewhere around there. So, so a year, half, year and a half ago, maybe a little bit before that, I bought my first pair of Kinnis shoes. I bought the Kinnis Nomad lights, the, the Nomad lights. And these are a pair of barefoot shoes. They, they look like socks and they have a harder rubber-like bottom underneath. And we'll get into all the biomechanics of barefoot walking and the actual uh, Kevlar-like material that these barefoot shoes are made out of. But I'm going to talk about my my experience first. So I bought the Nomad Lights, which are, they look like sock shoes. They kind of look like socks from far away. And I was training Muay Thai outside at the time. So, so I was practicing Muay Thai outside with my trainer, Houston Ariaga. shout out to Houston. And I was training in sneakers, but I didn't like training in sneakers because if I kicked Houston, that hurts with sneakers. 
and it just didn't feel good because I was training outside in the park and my, uh, my sneakers were slipping. And also you can't really keep people in the stomach with hard bottom sneakers. It's just not fair for me to train in sneakers against someone, especially when we're sparring. And I was looking for other options and I came across the Nomad Lights uh, made by Kinnis and it completely changed the game because I, I tried just barefoot before that and I was stepping on acorns in Prospect Park. I was training Muay Thai. I was, you know, doing switch kicks and and stepping into my jab and, and, and I was trying barefoot at first and I kept stepping on acorns and shouting F-bombs in a park full of kids. It's just, it's just not good. So I put on the Nomad Lights and I started to have unbelievable training sessions outside. I'd bring them with me every time I went to Prospect Park. I started using them just to walk around in the city, in Brooklyn. Would use them when I did my other workouts with kettlebells. Eventually got into steel mace flow. And then I bought the Nomads, which are a, a little more shoe-like. It has a harder top with still the, the, the rubber-like bottom flexibility and... The thing is, guys, my foot pain went away. I used to have a nagging pain under my big toe ever since my basketball days. Ever since my embarrassing basketball days, I had a, you know, some fractures in my metatarsals and always had this toe pain. And I, I was walking in these shoes and my foot pain started to go away. And then eventually it went away completely. And I walk around in these barefoot shoes in Brooklyn all the time. And my feet have never felt better. And to be honest, when I first bought the shoes, I didn't know exactly what it was doing to my body. And part of the reason why I had Vincent on the podcast and what you're about to listen to is the science and biomechanics and Vincent's experience making these barefoot shoes and why they work the way they do, why modern day shoes are fucking us up so much, why the artificial support is so bad for us. You'll, we'll talk about Vincent's journey as a refugee from Vietnam when he escaped Vietnam with his family and eventually made his way to the United States. We get into all of that. And I have no affiliation with Kinnis Shoes other than uh, I'm good friends with Dave Robinson, who reps the brand. I now know Vincent as a result of this podcast, but I, I don't have any sort of affiliation. I'm not making money from people buying Kinnis shoes. I simply just wanted to spread the joy and support, uh, you know, physical, uh, literal, literal physical support that these shoes have given me. And hopefully other people will listen to this podcast and go check out the shoes on Kinnis.com. It's K-I-N-I-S.com. It's K-I-N-I-S.com. And without further ado, please enjoy this conversation with Vincent Vu. That also did not mean that to rhyme. Maybe I did a little bit that time. Either way, I hope you enjoy this conversation. Vincent Vu, founder of Kinnis, thank you for joining me. I really do appreciate it. Thank you so much, Zach, for uh, inviting me to the podcast. I'm ex super excited to share the Kinnis story with uh, everyone. Of course. So before we actually get into the Kinnis story, I was reading that you spent six years in a refugee camp when you were a young kid. And a lot of the conversation around refugees, especially in, in the U.S., has become very heated and politicized. 
And it's a lot of people that were born in the United States, like myself, talking about the experiences of refugees and, and what they go through. But we don't actually hear from a lot of refugees themselves who have come to the U.S. So I wanted to ask you if you could tell the story of how you became a refugee and what that was like what, going through that with your family. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, my, my family originally from Vietnam. Uh, my my mom and myself and my little brother, um, let's go back before we actually escaped the country. So my grandfather fought during the Vietnam War. He fought alongside with the Americans. Um, so after the collapse of the uh, the uh, the South Vietnam Army, uh, my uh, my mom's side family, uh, my grandfather killed were well, killed during the war. Um, at that time, you know they they get into a lot of uh, difficult time after the war, since they was part of the South Vietnam Army. So um, during that time between 1975 and 19 up to early 1990, a lot of people actually escaped the country. Um, that's wave immigrant. They call the people this the boat people. So um, the boat people. My yes, literally the boat people. So I was I, I remember I was seven at the time, uh, in first grade, and one day my mom just showed up a class and pulled me out in the middle class. Uh, didn't tell me where we going and what is it for. Have no idea. Uh, the next thing we I remember that we are in a um, little bit south of Saigon in a little canoe uh, on the along the river bank with some bottled water with us. Uh, now, my mom was, I was seven at the time. My brother was like three and a half. And here we are. Still, my mom haven't told us anything where we're going yet. Uh, the next thing we know, we are uh, on the little canoe uh, and then went out, out further out from the river uh, and into the ocean. There's a boat waiting for us. And we're supporting the boat. Boats. And I said, all right, have no idea. I'm said, well, um, follow my mom's instruction. And later on, here we are in the middle of the ocean. So I start to realize here I am in a small boat, fishing boat that designed probably for 10, 15 fishermen. And we crammed 165 people on the boat. And so you didn't know exactly where you were going at this point? You, you were on this fishing boat. You were crammed in with other people. But did, did you have an idea of where you were heading or was it kind of you were just a kid waiting to hear what your parents were going to say? We have no idea. I mean, I thought, you know, we am just, you know, just waiting for my mom to tell me something. So it's just my mom, me, my mom, my younger brother. I'm used to getting pulled out of class for something like a dentist appointment. When my parents would pull me out of class, I would assume I was either in trouble or I had to go to the doctor. So I couldn't imagine if my mom pulled me out of school and she was like, hey, Zach, by the way, we're uh, leaving the United States on a fishing boat and I can't tell you where we're going. I, I, that must have been pretty crazy going through that experience as a kid. Yeah, I, I think I think I would ask a lot of questions if she told me ahead of time and I'll probably ask and I'll probably call my you know, probably go home and talk to my dad. But you know, the decision was made uh between my mom, my dad. Um, you know, she always want a better future for us. And I think escaping the country, uh fighting freedom or prosperity somewhere else is that's the the rap that she's already made up her mind. So we are on this boat. I still have no idea. And all I remember that during the day, uh, we were told to stay at the bunker, which is where they used to store the fish. Um, so now there's 165 people on the boat. And these are uh, very primitive fishing boats, not a boat that designs a wooden boat with very mm -hmm. 
primitive machineries. And I, I believe now looking back, because um, now I have the opportunity looking back to all the some of the uh, uh, footage that were captured by some other folk. And I say, oh, my God, if I know what I know now, I would never get that boat. Uh, so um, during the day, we would stay beneath the boat. Uh, and I remember there's a lot of people and, and a lot of these people are city people. Um, when they, they decide to escape, uh, the way it works that your family have to stay behind, pay the boat owner a certain amount of money. Mm. And until we, and, and a lot of people are vomiting everywhere because a lot of people get seasick. They've never been in a boat before. Here they are trying to cross the ocean to go to the other side. Um, I don't remember how many days we spent at sea, uh, but luckily that me and my brother, we didn't get seasick. See, we're fine. Um, I remember they, they hand out this little fruit that you can eat to keep you hydrated. And that's the only thing that we will survive upon. Um, at night, we are allowed to get up. Uh, Do you remember what the fruit was that would keep you hydrated? I don't remember. All it is, it's just very watery. It's more like, uh, I'll think it's like, um, it's probably, it's similar to a pear, if you will. It's a lot of water to keep you hydrated. Uh, but that's all we have. They have mm. bags and bags of these things. I guess they were, they known that, you know, to keep you hydrated. Mm-hmm. Um, so we, we are heading south now. Um, we're heading south to, um, you know, you have Malaysia, Indonesia, a lot of the other places. Because during that time, there's a lot of refugee camps set throughout Southeast Asia for the Vietnamese who were actually escaping at the time. But um, we spent, I don't remember how many days we spent at sea, but we end up on an island, um, a refugee camp. That's where I end up spending um, about six years of my early childhood. But before mm. I, 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 will, I talk about the time that I spent in, in, at, at this refugee camp, I want to also mention that during that time, I don't know the exact statistic, but a lot of boats end up sinking because they're overboard, overcrowded. So mm. I think for every, per, every like, person made to the, uh, to the island, someone lost their life. And not only that, there are a lot of uh, pirates that happened at the time. I was too young to remember, but all I, re- I remember that this lady in my mom's neighborhood, she went on a different boat, and her boat ended up was um, captured by the pirate. And now mm-hmm. a lot of these folks are um, fishermen from other countries, if you will, um, that see the opportunity Knowing a lot of the Vietnamese people are escaping, which they carry, they take all the gold and jewelry with them, mm-hmm. um, see the opportunity and board a ship, the boat, and um, took all the money. Um, their situation there was a lot of um, people lost their life during these, when these things happened. So the, the fishermen that were working around there were actually becoming the, the pirates. They were watching people leave and eventually they figured out that these are refugees. They, they're probably pretty weak. They don't have weapons or anything like that. So they took advantage of the situation. 100%. And, and these are fishermen from neighboring country. Um, it's unfortunate that these things happen, that, but that's the fact. Uh, but luckily that didn't happen to our boat, but we know some other boat that happened to um, that woman that's raped. Jeez. Did, did everyone survive on your boat or w- what was kind of the energy like? Were people uh, like, could you see people starving? Were there people actually dead? What, what did the what was kind of the state of people as a whole on your boat specifically? 
We we not I mean we know starving, but I think we are in a, a very bad situation um, because a lot of these guys, even the the uh, the captain of the boat, sometimes these guys are uh, uh, not really a, a licensed captain. You know, these are just normal fishermen. They probably go a couple of miles out of the ocean. But what happened? Um, these guys sometimes they want to go, so the boat owner say, "All right, if you take this X amount of people, you don't have to pay the fee." That's sometimes the structure. It, it's it's not so. so a lot of these, so for us, we would survive, but we didn't like, we're not like we have a very comfortable experience. I would tell you it's not the case. Uh, but there are, when we arrive at the, um, at the, uh, the island, a refugee camp, we have witnessed that many boat in a lot of bad shape, that people who are, um, didn't make it. Uh, through that very tough journey, if you will. It sounds like, Whatever you were getting away from and running from in Vietnam, it, it must have been pretty bad conditions, pretty horrible conditions, because that's an insane amount of trust to put in the structure of a fishing boat and navigating dangerous waters that are even dangerous without pirates. I'm sure there are a lot of weather conditions and, and weather uh, things that are happening on the water that could have killed people as well. And, and it's an insane amount of trust to put into a person who may or may not be a licensed uh, boat captain in order to get to that new place that you're going. It's a lot of, a lot of faith and a lot of trust. What's up, guys? This is a quick break in the episode to remind you that if you like this conversation, you'll love Auxoro Premium. Go to auxoro.supercast.com to gain access to bonus episodes, the ability to suggest topics, and all premium archives for less than $5 per month. This is the best deal in premium podcasting, motherfucker. Go to auxoro.supercast.com for three hours of exclusive podcast content per month. We are allergic to half-assed episodes. Go to auxoro.supercast.com today. You are correct. And I think up until today, you know, um, I give credit to my mom. She have a very strong um, part in mind in order to take that risk. She's a risk taker. And, and, and that's where I see myself, where I am now. And looking back, the risk that I'm taking now, the financial risk, uh, the risk of starting the company from, mm-hmm. from, 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 from nowhere. And we all know 95% start to fail. But I look at that risk and the risk my mom took, uh, which he, the most valuable thing in life, life itself. And my mom took that risk. So that's what else to lose. So when, when you actually got to the island and you were living in that refugee camp for six years, what was the day-to-day like? What, what were you seeing? What were the living conditions like? What, what was the, the situation as a whole uh, for that time that you spent on that island? Yeah, I uh, absolutely. So we do uh, be seen as fun. I think I believe it's fun by through United Nations. So we, uh, I believe every Wednesday you go, there's a, a central location that you go. They give out some, some of your rice, some of your basics. Uh, there's some food that they hand out to you. Uh, you are assigned to, uh, at the beginning, this, were, this little tent, really. I mean, that's what you see in, on TV when they set up these refugee camps. That's exactly like that. And later on, you move to this uh a very basic apartment complex, as you will. Um, there were some, and my mom had to uh, um, see and uh, uh, become a, a small food vendor. She's selling food, you know, and I was selling stuff along the street. Um, I used to sell uh, bread 
um, to help my mom with living. Um, we didn't have school. Uh, we did at one point, and then uh, there were a protest, so they shut down the school. Uh, my day-to-day, which uh, I would go to uh, somebody's house, um, tutoring math. That's all I learned. Um, spend a lot of time uh, outdoor. I mean, there's not much. You're just waiting. So the way the process worked, that when you get to the island, you have to go to what called the interview process uh, to apply for refugee status. And you have to support your, you have to provide your supporting document, documentation, which is, um, as, you know, uh, to prove that, hey, you were uh, giving difficulty back at home country and, and your family was served, or, you know, part of the South Vietnam uh, and, and along the American, so that you go through the whole process. Mm. Uh, but for me, looking back, um, really, I have, you know, I, not, I don't have a whole lot, but I think... Um, it's probably the best childhood experience for me um, growing up on the islands. So, so you look back on it positively. You, you, you see that as something, I don't want to say beneficial is the right word, but, but you don't see it as a dark experience spending time at a refugee camp. You, you look at it knowing that you've gotten through it and it brings you, you, you it, it makes you feel good to think about those days. Yes, it's, it's, it's really shaped me, um, the person I am today. Um, I think uh, I look at adversity and, and I, I give a different perspective look at life. Uh, um, you know, I, and, and those six years uh, taught me a lot, uh, the value of, of freedom, uh, which we risked the life for it, uh, and hard work, which is, you know, um, that's where I'm continue to carry on that that thought process and do today, and uh, uh, appreciation in life because I think um, sometimes we we even me nowadays sometimes I tend to forget um, a lot of things, but I, when I reflect back the time that um, I'm you know uh, I didn't have much, I, I feel that I'm very grateful for where I am today, and, and uh, so yeah, I, I to me it's the best experience, and to me um, that's something that. Um, you have to live through it in order to uh, get out the most in life. Yeah, I'm lucky enough that I always had a nice roof over my head. I was born in New York and I never was living long term in a situation where I wasn't sure where I was going to live or are we going to have food? What's the, what, what's the actual structure of the house going to be like? Is it an apartment? Is it a tent? I'm lucky enough where I was growing up in a nice house in Long Island, New York. And when my parents chose to go away or when I would choose to, to go away on vacations, when I got older, when I'm paying for it myself, I can live more minimalistically and, experience harsher conditions by choice. It's not, it's not something that was forced upon me, but I'll, uh, I recently started my entrance into camping and sleeping out of a tent and had never really done that before for a long period of time. And, and yes, I still had my car there. So it wasn't like off the grid camping. We, we were, we always had a car with us and could drive somewhere to shelter if we had to. But sometimes I forget since I've always had the option of going back to a nice place that people live like that in much harsher conditions perpetually, or they do it for long periods of time in hopes that they can progress into a better living situation. 
So we, I, I, I forget about that a lot. So it's something I need to remind myself of more. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, I, I spent, we spent six years there, uh, and then in nine for, from 1990 to 1996, uh, 96 during that time, my mom didn't have enough, uh, supporting documentation so she was uh we she didn't uh, she didn't make it through her interview process so in 1996 we went back to vietnam so during that time there's a lot of protests and my mom decided to volunteer to go back and they were telling us all right you volunteer to go back this period of time because the the camp been going on for too long we need to shut down the camp throughout southeast asia so people stopped mm-hmm. you know coming to the camp um and w- the thing is that in my mom's family, there are three actually. There's there are two additional family member actually escaped, but they 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 went on separate time, but they end up in the same island. Her, there's her old older brother and a younger sister. Her, the older brother who made it through the first round of interview process, he um he went on and and immigrated to the U.S. He currently mm-hmm. lives in, in Iowa right now, and he so he immigrated in 1993. Uh, but my mom didn't make it, so 1996 he went home. Her younger sister decided to stay, hold out the last minute until they forced to close the camp. Um, she ended up didn't uh, didn't go, didn't allow to go um, because she she didn't volunteer in that time. So my mom did. So what ninety six we went back to Vietnam and we stayed there for two years. So what happened is now I have to learn how to adapt to a new culture again because I left when I was seven, first grade. Now I'm going back after almost like. After six years, didn't really have much schooling except you know some um, tutoring here and there. I now am going back trying to readapt into a, a society again. Um, so I stayed there and I end up going to uh, middle school, seventh grade, uh, eighth grade. That's where. I end. In 1998, um, after my mom gathered all the supporting documentation, she went to an interview process again and she was accepted. In 1998, we immigrate to um, to a uh, to my uncle, which is her older brother, uh, city, a uh, small town called Sioux City, Iowa. Um, and that time I was 15 at the time. Sioux City, Iowa. Yes. What was the, the most shocking part for you about coming into the United States and, and coming into American culture? Because I've never, I've, I've always been an insider. So I've, I've always had the American point of view. And sometimes you can get stuck in your own way of thinking and you were old enough to remember what it was like to live in Vietnam and the refugee camp. Was there anything that was specifically more shocking to you or you're like, why do people do this? Uh, maybe thought it was stupid or something, P- things that were habits or just routine in America that weren't routine where you grew up. Uh, I think the biggest shock for me first, I was ecstatic. Super excited, you know. We we spend all these years on the island, always dreaming about America. All we hear, we watch the American movie. We watch, we hear people talk about. It. It's a magical place, uh, and that's that's the ultimate locate destination where you find, you know, where your dream can come true, where you find freedom, um, where you can be anything that you want want to be. Uh, so for me, the biggest shock was uh, was the weather. You know, we, here I am, you know, spending all my childhood in, in a tropical place. And we arrived in April 10, 1998 to uh, a small airport, Susie, Iowa. The, the cold was the thing that hit me the most. Um, I think the rest in the back of my mind, I was so excited to to um, to come to America, to start my life over again, to begin to have that, this is a new beginning. 
it's on what to me is like rebirth, you know, uh, the American dream. People talk about that. And here I am living that dream. But the biggest challenge to me was the weather. And of course, secondly, will be the language barrier. Then I asked myself, mm. here I am, 15 years old, um, trying to uh, restart again my life. And, and, and you know, being a teenager, is, is, you have to adapt to uh, the society, the culture. Um, and then the next thing you think about is, oh, my God, I don't speak any English at all. How is that going to work? Am I going to be able to finish school, then go to college? So all these things in the back of my mind keep keep popping up. I, I, uh, but that was the, the experience I, I, I got when I first arrived here in the U.S. Yeah, it's, uh, it, it's funny that the weather w- was shocking to you because normally – if you're talking to someone, if you go out to a, a bar or a happy hour, you go just hanging out with friends and someone starts talking about the weather, it's usually because you've run out of things to say because everyone has lived around here usually that you're talking to. And so the weather's kind of this signal as, all right, this conversation is about to get boring or we should leave. And coming to Iowa from Vietnam and the weather being one of the most fascinating things about it, that ju- that seems, uh, it, it makes sense. It's also kind of funny just knowing like the patterns of American conversation. Yes. So, uh, yes, uh, that, and then, you know, going to high school, I remember, uh, uh, there's a school, my, the school I went to called West High School. Uh, I, I really had been, uh, over 20 years, but, um, my plan in the next two or three years, I would like to visit that. I want to walk the street that, that the area that's away from the bus, uh, not really not knowing how to speak uh, English and then taking ESL classes at the beginning. Mm. Um, it just learn how to eat a Subway sandwich at the beginning was challenging. It's real fun. It's not challenging. It was a very different experience. Uh, so the food itself. Learning how to eat a Subway sandwich, you said? Yeah, a cold sandwich because we used to eat everything is hot. So now here uh. I am, you go, you have a cold sandwich. It was uh, difficult at the beginning and, and, and try to adapt. Um, and what else? Uh, I toasted is always better. People that don't yeah. get their sandwiches toasted are psychos. I, <laughs> I question, I question their, uh, their sanity. <laughs> but yeah, I spent some time in, in Susie, the Iowa, uh, before we moved. So I spent about a year there. Um, and then my mom knows somebody in Richmond and that's where we, uh, we moved to Richmond in 99. Um, I went to high school here and um, went went away for college a little bit uh, down in Savannah, Georgia, and came back. And um, and here I am. I've been in Richmond, been my hometown for the last over 20 years or so. And Richmond is where Kinnis is based out of, correct? That is correct, yes. This is a little bit of a, a jump from high school, but what was your entrance into the the interest in barefoot walking shoes before you even started the business, Kenneth, what drew you to barefoot walking shoes? What got you interested? Was it a movie, book, uh, conversation? What what was your beginnings of that path? To be honest with you, I mean, you know, when I moved here in 1998, you know, I think after spending six years, so I, I'm very excited when I first moved because now I have first pair of speak uh sneaker again uh the nike shoe and everything because i never owned a pair in my entire life you know we we either barefoot or have little sandal but now you know after seeing everything on on tv or, or seeing other people now i actually have a pair of sneakers so that was a very exciting moment for me uh but fast forward in vietnam you never had sneakers before you came here 
No, no, so, I either uh, sandal. That's that's most of the time. And uh, when I was living on the refugee camp, it's mainly uh, barefoot. Yes, barefoot and sandals. And so, so yeah, I, I could see how that that could plant a seed early on for some sort of barefoot walking footwear. Yes. So does that very normal for me? You know, and we, we spend, I, I spent a lot of time playing soccer barefoot on the Island with my, with, uh, you know, my buddies, but, uh, nine, so when I moved to, uh, Richmond, of course, um, uh, you know, you learn to adapt to the American culture society, uh, you wear shoes, shoe is just, it's, it's a norm, not wearing shoe is considered abnormal. So you do wear shoes like everybody else. So fast forward to that up into, you know, Throughout my entire high school and college, everything else, I'm just pretty normal. I'm just having shoes like everyone else. But fast forward to 2016, that's where thing that's really thing um starting to happen for me with my personal injury. So um you know I I'm very active. I like to you know stay active, do some sort of you know exercise here and there. But up into 2016, that's when I got into running a little bit. Um, cause you know, I, I, I like to stay active. And then when I started to do about anywhere from 10 to 15 miles a week, then uh, a couple of weeks into running, that's where I start to develop ankle issue, sin splint, um, you know, you know, heel pain, all these things. Um, and so my first thought process, well, I probably need a new pair of running shoes because I, and I, I, to be honest, I'm not a big fan of running, but, um, because now I, I I feel as I get older, I want to do more cardio. It's a lot more healthy for me. So um, my first thought was, uh, you know, I need a new pair of running shoes. I went out, purchased all these pair of running shoes, the Nike running shoe, the Adidas, um, and none of that helped. The problem persists and it's getting worse. Um, I got to the point I couldn't run anymore. And that's where I started to do a lot of research, try to figure out what happened to me. Um, because... Um, I am in, in the opinion that, you know, I think if you, if you listen to your body and a lot, unless you have really, you know, the, the, the very special situation, then you see a doctor mm-hmm. rather than that, you should be, the body is, is strong enough to, to, uh, to cure itself, to heal itself in a way. Um, so um, I do a lot of research and that's where I came a lot to a study that really talk about the shoe, really the shoe that causing the problem uh, that, you know, because I didn't have this problem before. So I, I came across a book, Born to Run, where, you know, the, the author talk about this group of people in Mexico that they can run ultra marathon with something very thin sandal. That's that really excite me again. That's remind me of my time uh, playing soccer barefoot because I, I used to be to do that. But now here I am um, barely run. I have these the most expensive running shoe. I try all the thing and nothing works. So that really, um, the more I do research, the more I start to come to realization, wait a minute, it's really the shoe that causing me all these problems. So I want to, so with that in mind, I, um, I couldn't find a product that really helped me. Um, so I, at that point, I just say, all right, I just want to fix my own problem. I want to be able to find a long-term sustainable solution. I mm-hmm. didn't want to go see a podiatrist. I didn't want to go wear orthotic. I don't want to rely on the I consider artificial uh, fix, a short-term fix. Um, so that's really, um, and during that time, I was, you know, um, enrolling in an MBA program. And one of the class was, uh, is they were teaching us about design thinking. Uh, and and that really happened to be the same time I'm trying to tinkering with the idea of maybe making 
a shoe that really fixed my own personal problem, not about the, there's nothing about the business related to that. Um, and the more I dive into it, the more I realize that, hey, um, there's an opportunity here for us to create something that, that not only helping me, but there's many other folks who probably experience the same thing that I'm experiencing um, that can help them as well. Um, so that is where really the, the, the inception of Kin is itself. Yeah, you mentioned making a shoe to fix your own personal problems. And it seems like that's the root of a lot of great inventions and innovations is that someone has a problem or, you know, maybe they, they're lazy and they want to invent something that will allow them to spend less time and, and actually make it more efficient. And not, not that that's what you did. You were more the, the, the former you had, you had a problem and you invented something that you wanted to fix. And then as a result of fixing a personal problem, you realize that other people are having this problem too, through conversations, through posting about it. People I'm sure were asking you what's on your foot when you're walking through the streets, which I've gotten in Brooklyn five or six times in the past six months walking around every week or so someone asks me what's on my foot and I always tell them Kinnis and uh where where they can go get it and yeah it's it 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 seems like that's a good starting point if you're trying to create content or create a product is to fix a problem of your own first and then for content to make the content that you enjoy, what's a conversation that you want to listen to or what, what do you really have fun doing? And then to, to work from there instead of trying to start big first and then pare it down into a product. Yeah. I mean, for me, it's just, I just want to regain the strength that I lost over the last 20 years. Um, I just want to be able to be able to move. We talk a lot about moving naturally. So during this time, I spent a lot of time studying about foot biomechanics, uh, body mechanics, understanding the, the foot anatomy. Uh, and, and there's so many resources that anyone can, you know, get online and spend 10, 15 minutes to be able to pull a lot of resource. These are the things that, you know, now looking back, um, no, not a single shoe company tell you about. And because everyone, everybody in the business is telling you, hey, buy this shoe. I'm just an average consumer. When I go out buy a pair of shoes, the one thing in the back of my mind back then, comfort and style. Mm. Those are the things that, and that's what we see. There, everywhere we turn, you know, there's ads that tell us, hey, more comfort, more comfort. But nobody really teach you, wait a minute, that's not actually in the long term, that's not good for us. Over the last 50 years, you look at all the combined, um, you know, all these big shoe companies, everybody just talking about more cushion, more comfort, but never, no one, not a single of them talk about, hey, wait a minute, we need to understand the body mechanic because the human mm -hmm. body went over uh, 2 million years evolution to be who we are today. Everything we create the last 50 years is single-handed changed the way we move as a society, as a species. Because mm. all we want to look for that that short term fix comfort, and we forget that hey, we we don't let our feet to move the way they were designed. Because the human feet are, you know, twenty five percent bone in our bodies and our feet is very complicated. It's have been engineered to perfect to help us progress. And you look at in the early day, um, you look at our ancestors. They didn't have shoe. I'm not promoting the idea that nowadays people should take off their shoe and and run around barefoot. I'm not saying that. But I'm saying that we do not need all the artificial art support. 
cushion to help us move every day. We don't need that. So you were studying earlier civilizations and even primitive civilizations that are still around today and looking at how, how are they running and walking barefoot? What are the benefits? And reading material, researching material on how to transform that into a barefoot shoe for yourself at first and eventually became Kinnis. Exactly. So yes, I, you know, I, I look at myself as case study because that's what I did. You know, I grew up, didn't have shoe and my feet were healthy. I can go out and spend whole day outdoor. And I think if you look back, even in the U.S., if you look back, my, you know, the, the older generation, you look at people in their 50s, 60s, they'll tell you that they grown up, they didn't have shoe. Like, you know, I'm looking at my kid nowadays, they have all these shoes, but I'm looking at even my generation, my parent generation, maybe your parent generation, people grew up in the 60s, 50s, they would love to be outside, play barefoot. Mm-hmm. That's what we are built. That's what we are, the human body designed to do. It's just nowadays, it's just the fact that we have been told we have the preconceived notion that we need shoe, we need support, we need cushion for everything we do in life. What is it specifically about the make and mechanics of a barefoot shoe that is better for the biomechanics of the human body? If you were to explain to someone why a barefoot walking shoe is better for you over the long term than, a, let's say, a Nike walking shoe with, with much more cushion, it's, it's probably narrower. What are what are some of the things? Is, is it just the like the cushion and the narrowness? Is there something, uh, is there something else that we're tapping into when we're walking barefoot? What, what did you find in your research? So what I learned, the first thing first, that anytime you look at human body uh, flat, which is to say flat, uh, when, when you wear barefoot or you wear something that I consider minimalist, um, that means your center of gravity is, is dead on the center. There's a, there's a stack. Everything, what I call, what I've referred to, everything stacked top to bottom. Um, we are not leaning for the front. When you wear something that have a lift in the back of the heel, so basically it changes the posture. That means you lean toward the front. That means you are putting pressure more on your knee, uh, your ankle, your back. Your posture out of whack at that point. That's a first thing mm. that change. So when that changes, that means every time you walk, your knee, your back, your ankle have to compensate for that. So we all walking, leaning toward the front. Now, with, if you look at the shoe anatomy, we, we refer to the narrow toe box. Typically, the foot itself, it likes to display. The more you display, the more you have contact. Mm. So it gives you stability and balance. So a lot of the shoe, a modern athletic shoe is narrow. So what means we are artificially um, deform the foot, which we compress all the toe with the narrow toe box, which hinder our ability to use the big toe, which is a big mm. toe um, that used as a push-up. So these are the resources that I look at and also experience myself. Uh, I'm not a, a doctor. Uh, I'm not a podiatrist. But, but the resources that allow me to understanding uh, the most basic way uh, that the foot designed to move. The other thing I talk about, the cushion support, okay, that which he, um, uh, I'm a firm believer that if you look at the foot itself, there's an arch in there. There's a reason why there's an arch in our foot. The arch are act, acting is designed to act as a, a shock absorbing mechanism. So when you land, you land on the midfoot, so all the energy that, that you hit the ground being absorbed to the arch. So that extra energy is not going to end up in your knee, your back, or your ankle. But when you wear something with an arch support, 
the analogy that if you support something, you make it weak over time. Mm. And then that's why if you have a collapse arch. I'm not saying that for I'm not saying a, a minimalist or barefoot shoe for everyone, but I say for the majority of the population, we are born with a normal and healthy feet. It's just the way we are conditioned. We 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 put them in I call a cast, which he now mm. is the feet no longer function. It's just a shoe. The typical running shoe like Nike, Adidas, Reebok. The arch and the artificial cushion is giving us something that we don't need. For for most people, if we were walking around barefoot, our body has built-in mechanisms to adapt. And then if we're walking around in arches all the time or, or arch assistance with 99.9% of shoes that are built today, it's realigning our bodies to make us weaker in a way it's it's taking it's taking away the barefoot mechanics that we were born with the ability to tap into and then when you have that artificial arch and the constant support the reason why people may have pain barefoot is could be because they're so used to the arch and and having that support all the time that is correct i mean it's just like uh uh it's an addiction because now they view they that's why all shoe company uh, the way they market their product is more comfort, more support. You don't need more; you need less. Because the more you do it, the more you constantly altering the body natural biomechanics. And that's something you know I keep telling folks is is it um, we're not telling people go run barefoot. That's not the case. I'm just saying mm-hmm. all you have to do is walk in something that minimalist in a way. It, it doesn't have to be barefoot. Get away from these artificial support and let the foot move naturally. Mm. When you can do that, we can fix the problem with the knee, the back, uh, the alignment issue, the posture issue. Um, so these are the things that, that anyone can do uh, at home. Something I wanted to ask you is, are barefoot shoes and, and the, the Kinnis barefoot shoes in particular, are these designed for running or should you be running in these or could you if you wanted to because i'm not a big runner i lift in kinnis shoes and i've done muay thai i'll walk around in the the lucy's right here this is the the model that i have of the lucy but i i'm not a runner just because i i don't really enjoy it i ran a lot in my college baseball days and kind of got sick of it but is is running something that you would advise in barefoot shoes? Do you have to work up to it? What's been your experience with running? For the most part, we do not recommend running because I think um, the reason we say what we say, because ultimately if if someone that's not understanding or if they spend many years in these cushioned shoes, uh, we can reassure the feet is not strong enough to absorb the impact force. So all our product, we is not a running product, but the best thing you can do is walking them. By walking them, you slowly regain the strength back. And if, if for me personally, when I run, I do run in our products because I have been trained. My body mm. has been in year training. Can it? Can you run? The answer yes. But if, if I just want to make clear that we say that we do not recommend running. The mm. best thing you can do, anyone, this, it doesn't matter you an athlete or just you know someone looking to be more active. The best thing you can do for your body, walking our product. Because I think walking our product, you start to uh, slowly uh, regain the strength, slowly correct the posture, 
correct the alignment again. And and you can feel the ground. The one thing that I keep that, that I have not mentioned that if you wear something thick, you lose the ability to feel the ground. Mm-hmm. The ground is, you know, at the bottom of our feet, there are over 200,000 nerve endings. So we can send the environment to so this the spatial relationship. We know where we are, but when we wear something thick, we, we lose that. We have no idea. We just walk everywhere. And, and, but, uh, but when, when you wear something minimalist, and that's why when you wear barefoot, we are very conscious where we're landing. We're conscious about the landing, the posture. So it's very important for us, uh, for us as species to tap into our uh, primitive part of us, which he send the environment the way when we walk in the most natural way. Yeah, I, I've, had, I've had the experience of really feeling the ground with the Lucy's. So back in May, I hiked this trail called the Narrows in Zion National Park. And it's filled with water up to your waist at some points. So you're walking through water around your ankles almost the whole time. But then sometimes you're wading through it and sometimes for 100 feet, sometimes for five, 600 feet. And I was doing that entire hike in the the Lucy Barefoot Shoe by Kennis. And before that, they offered the option, before you even start the hike, they offered to rent out these special shoes that were much harder. They almost looked like a flat basketball shoe, like almost like a high top Converse and a walking stick. And I decided to go in the Kinnis shoes because I had been hiking on other trails the day before in Zion on the Grand Canyon and felt great. And walking over these rocks, even with water, these were, you know, soaking wet rocks. So it was very slippery at some points. I felt my feet almost gripping the rocks like hands, like my foot would like go over a rock and I would be able to slightly grip it because I had the, the flexibility on the bottom of the shoe to contour with the rocks. And I saw a bunch of people slipping with the sneakers that were rented out, even with the walking stick. I think I, I might've slipped once at a point where it was very slippery. But other than that, I was walking over uh, rocks underwater, going through, you know, sand, uh, some, some very slippery points and, it, it was a, it was a great time. I, I really felt the, like feeling the ground when you said that it reminded me of that hike in Zion in the Narrows. That's awesome. That's an awesome, um, thank you so much for sharing because ultimately, you know, our feet just like you mold to the object, could be the rock, could be the tree root, you mold to that because I think the, the bottom are designed to be as flexible as possible. So think about your feet, you're grabbing the ground, feeling the ground. That's something that um, you look at all the shoes in the market. They all, they make them thick and thicker. And when you make them that way, you lose the control. You have zero control over uh, the surface and where you foot in your land. So um, that's what, uh, you know, all our products are designed to, to allow for the maximum uh, ground contact in a way that you feel the ground. Yeah. And and even wearing them every day, walking on the sidewalks in Brooklyn, I have less pain in my foot. I I had a nagging injury under my left big toe for a while. I had broken my metatarsal a couple of times when I was younger and it just was like this lingering pain under my toe. And after a few months, it kind of just went away when I was wearing the barefoot shoe. I, I walk around every day for at least 30 minutes, sometimes multiple times a day, I'll work out in them. And about 
three, four months into buying the, my first pair of Canis, I realized that I no longer had that pain and I was doing Muay Thai too. I still am practicing Muay Thai. So I would hit my toe, you know, once every two weeks and, and have a pain in my toe and it doesn't linger really. I feel like the, it almost gives my toes more of a workout to regain the strength after stubbing it a Muay Thai or, or uh, checking someone's kick and, and I take it off the toe. I, I feel like walking in the barefoot shoe has given me better recovery between Muay Thai sessions and then also an overall doling down of the pain that I would normally feel under my left big toe. So I've had a great experience with them. That's awesome. You, you mentioned something that, that gave your toe a lot of freedom. And that's why we made a toe box and why we make the toe box very wide. So that means the idea when you wear the shoe, you should be to wiggle your toe inside. Your toes are free to move in the most natural way. And, and, and a lot of, you look at a lot of shoe, a lot of uh, the traditional, I call athletic shoe, they, they tend to like um, the, the front of it lift off a little bit, which he now it is because everything will compress together. Now, but our shoe is flat to the ground. I mean, now your toe actually engaging. Big toe is very important. Mm. We can't really stand if we lose a big toe. Big toe are so narrow. You squeeze all the toe together and we lose the function of the big toe. So we left off. You were talking about the toe box spilt, built specifically for the Kinnis shoe. Yeah. Um, in, in, any, in our products, in any minimal shoe product that... that um, that uh, out in the market, what we're saying that, um, you know, we want to make the toe box as wide as possible. So when you wear a, a minimal shoe, you should be able to wiggle your toe inside of that. And that's something that gives you the freedom of move in the most natural way. That's where you can engage the big toe. That is a, a direct contradiction with uh, a traditional athletic shoe where you look at the front of the toe, uh, the, the almost like they pointing up, which he, because that mm. caused by a very narrow toe box where we squeeze all the toe together, and that's some. Um, sometimes people get bunion that way. Sometimes they mm. have a lot of toe-related issue, um, and sometimes people also create a lot of pressure point between the the midfoot and the heel area as well. Um, mm. So that's something that, um, for me personally, when I make that transition, one thing I rely away that um, I have full freedom of my toes, and I can uh, especially. While I was lifting weight, I can, when I squat, I can do deadlift. Uh, I know that I can grip the ground with the, grip mm. the ground with my toes uh, before I couldn't do that in that traditional athletic shoe. Yeah. And I, I, uh, always took off my, or I don't want to say always, but most of the time I would take off my sneakers to deadlift and squat because it just, it, it, it felt better. I, I felt like I was able to get into the positions that I needed to more easily. And I feel that way also with the, the barefoot shoe. And it's funny, I don't know if you've had this experience, but I've been traveling a couple of times and I didn't have the Kinnis shoes with me. And so I had my regular running shoes. And when I was doing squatting exercises, I almost felt like I was cheating because I had done it so long without any sort of arch or artificial lift. And I was in my Nikes and I'm like, this is so much easier. And having not done this with uh, support in 12 months or however long it was uh, doing kettlebell squats and um, deadlifts, I really was able to feel how much 
the regular shoes assist you and you don't even realize it unless you take them off. 100%. And then the other thing create a lot of unstable condition. I mean, it, it, you lift you off the ground. So the more, the more you're off the ground and then you also, uh, that toe pointing up. So it create un, un, um, instability along the way as well. Um, so yeah, I mean, you know, Kinnis has been around. So this is our four years anniversary. We currently have three products in the market. We start with the uh, the first product, which is the uh, the Nomad, which is the sock line footwear. Um, yeah, I, I have remember, that right here too. Yeah, this is so the, the first is one that I bought. The first one, the closest to being barefoot, and to me, I that's still the product that I uh, train in. I walk in them. I go hiking in them. I go rock climbing in them as well. So whenever I go mm. rock climbing. Uh, we have a local rock climbing indoor place, and they always try to give me that shoe, which is super narrow. Uh, I climb in the Nomad, or sometimes I climb barefoot. They kick me out a few times. <laughs> uh, yeah. But uh, but it's just so much freedom you climb barefoot, because I, I, I tell you that you can feel, you can grab your toe, you can bend. We talk about the ability to, to mold every single toe, almost like you're in the control of your foot independently as you climb up. Uh, it's just the the most incredible experience. I I wish there are more place that can allow people to go in there uh, to climb barefoot. And I ask them why they say oh sanitary reason. It's that's just it just I I find it's 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 uh, fascinating to climb barefoot. Yeah, and I want to give a, a shout out to Dave Robinson because he's the one who turned me on to to Kenneth shoes. And you also he, there's pictures of Dave on the website. I know he's also a, a he, a spokesperson, I believe, for Kinnis, or he he reps the brand for the Spartan races? Absolutely. So Dave and I go back uh, three years ago. So when I first started out, Kinnis, and um, I saw one of Dave posts on IGs, and I, I think maybe a barefoot or something, and I reached out to him, and they lived locally. So that's how we get connect, and we've been uh, friends and, and, and Spartan buddies. And then he's the guy that got me into Spartan race. Um, I show up to Spartan Ray with a Nomad, and I remember uh, that's it the first time. It's my first Spartan Ray ever. I show up, and everybody wearing these Spartan shoes and running shoe and all that kind of shoe, and I ask me, wear your shoe, and I say, this is my shoe. Um, and I finished the race, and that was the best experience of, uh, ever. Uh, and since then, there's many of other athletes who also compete in, in Spartan Rays. And, and I want to uh, clarify a couple of things. You know, we say that you don't run our product because like I say we want to make sure that we don't want to miscommunicate to the consumer, to everyone that, hey, this is something that you can run. No, if, if you're not trained, if you're not give yourself a, the, a proper transition time and you decide that this is a cool idea and I'm go out and buy a kid's minimalist run and I'll go out, and run a five mile. Um, I'm pretty sure that you the next day you hurt yourself along the way. And, and that's the last thing. Um, we want to happen to anyone else. So if you something that, that this is something that you find that you want to do, please reach out to us. Uh, we have done it multiple times. We know the do and don't. We're more than happy to share with you uh, the proper training process, the proper transition process, so you can do successfully and, and safely. Yeah, so I've been, I've been friends with Dave for a while. We go back about five or six years and I, I went to University of Richmond and I met him in the gym when I was training for baseball at the time. And we had struck up a relationship and became friends through his job as a financial advisor. And then about 
this is probably 18, 20 months ago, I had started taking Muay Thai lessons outside because the gyms were closed. So I was doing one-on-ones with my teacher, Houston Ariaga, who was in Brooklyn at the time. And I was doing them in, in sneakers and in my regular sneakers. And it just, I, I felt weird to be kicking in sneakers and just didn't feel like I had a a great grip. And I, and I had done some barefoot kicking inside in my apartment. I have a mat in my apartment where I can do uh, shadow boxing, air kicks, and I felt so much better barefoot. And then I saw a post that David thrown up wearing the Kinnis shoes. And I was thinking about doing barefoot training, just completely barefoot outside for Muay Thai, but there's so many acorns on the ground in Prospect Park. I tried it once and I was just cursing half the time. I was like, fuck, fuck that. Like I kept stepping on, stepping on acorns. I would like throw a kick, land and step on an acorn. I'm like, all right, I need something that's not a sneaker. I saw the Kinnis shoes on Dave's IG page and then ordered a pair, but he was the, the first person, uh, he, he was the person I found out, um, about Kinnis through and then continue to use them for about six months until gyms opened back up where now we can do it barefoot inside, but I still use them to walk around and train outside. Um, when I, when I get out. That's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, and, um, it's just a great community around here in Richmond. I, and I think that, that, you know, we, we always consider, and I think, you know, um, you know, I, I start Kinnis East at the end of the day is, is with a, a, a mission that, hey, um, the idea that we want to create a movement that helps people move naturally. You know, I um, it worked for me, and I think a lot of folks are also in my same situation, mm-hmm. basically, because now there's there no other alternative. Because everywhere that you go, any shoe company you go is about selling you the most expensive shoe. But what we trying to do, Kinnis, hey, let, let, let's us give you... Um, this is the other side of the story that we call the, the most, you know, the human movement side story. We want to share with you and, and, and people make the decision at the end of the day, what product they think is fit that for you. But up to this point, it's mainly there's only one side, comfort, more cushion, more support. Mm-hmm. And we said, hey, wait a minute, there's got to be more than that. And, and that's what we're trying to do every day is sharing the knowledge that we, um, that we learn along the way, the knowledge that, um, also, the mistake, the experience we went through, how difficult it is at the beginning for me to make that transition back. But now um, I, I, I feel like I'm, um, I'm more in tune my body than ever before in my life. Um, I was able to, um, you know, I, I, I enjoy the freedom, enjoy that, knowing the fact that, hey, um, the product that we create is truly helping somebody to regain the ability to move in the most natural way. Mm-hmm. Um, so for us is uh, our number one objective is not to create the most comfortable shoe. It's to create a product that just give you the bare minimum protection. But mm-hmm. that comfort is something that you gain as you start to make that transition. The comfort is in your feet, not through the shoe. So, can you talk a little bit about how you developed the actual cloth and, and fiber for the Kinnis shoe? Because I understand there was a lot of trial and error. You were producing it yourself and then you moved production over to China. I even heard you yes. say on a podcast that the the Spectra fiber that you use is stronger than Kevlar. Is that true? Yes, that is correct. So yeah, um, to create our first products, our first product is Nomad, which is the barefoot socks. And 
Now, I have zero background in shoe designing. I have no idea. I don't know how to design a shoe. My background, my professional background is an architect. So I would train. I went to school to become an architect. That's what I did. I know design, design office building. But at the time when I embarked on this journey to create a shoe, I had zero knowledge about shoe. I don't know how shoe design. I don't even know what to call the, the certain part of the shoe. So at the beginning, um, what I did was, you know, I went to a, a local art and craft store and buys a bunch of foam pads foam that people use make art and craft i mm. take that and i cut the different pieces and i glue to the bottom of my socks and 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 that's where i decided all right i'm gonna take off my shoe and i'm glued to the sock and walk around with this thing at the beginning i said well you know my feet are weak you know i'm not going to walk around with my socks all day it's gonna hurt like crazy so that's why i did I begin. So that's why. So I went out and cut about a bunch of foam, and I go to the gym. I would give out to everybody at the gym or the trainer, and hey, um, there's a little adhesive, and I try that. Try this whole new barefoot thing. Um, everybody think that I'm pretty. I'm crazy. I'm pretty sure they end up not doing it. But it, it was me. You know, I I want to see if if that something worked. So um, I went did that, and then I I decided that you know maybe I can make this thing domestically. So um, I went out and contact a sock company. I call. I would spend hour and hour on the phone calling everyone. So, so you know, along the North Carolina, South Carolina, there used to be a textile hub. So there's the. I, I looked them up and I found uh, a company. And literally, I was trying to call in this guy. His name is Brian Mayo. A company called Mayo Knitting in North Carolina. Mm. For literally three months, finally, he picked up the phone and I told him, hey, I want to make this socks shoe, you know, somewhere in between. Um, he said, I, I, and I, at that point, I make a, a really um, primitive or very, you know, prototype that I made by binding a bunch of stuff and glue together. And he said, all right, well, come on down and see what we can do for you. So I went out and met with him. At this point, I have no idea how diff even different material they use for the socks. So after working with him for a couple months, he was able to help me make the socks. And, and that that's the first part. And now I said, all right, well, we need to add the rubber to the bottom of this. So um, I didn't know how to, so I do a lot of research. And I found a company who make this machine. This machine are designed to make silk sprinting, sprinting to, for shirt, for logo. And I called them up. I told them that I want to do this, you know, rubber coating um, at the bottom because I would figure out mm -hmm. that I want to make this product domestically and I can make it in my garage. So I called them. I found a company in California. I flew there a couple of times, talked to the guy, the owner. And at the beginning, everything is, he's thinking, you're fucking crazy, man. <laughs> <laughs> what are we? That's I mean, funny. this is, uh, you own a, you know, we, you're making a, a footwear product with that machine. So after convincing multiple times and, and he decided, all right, we'll cost you 20K. So at that point, I decided, all right, we go all in with this one to see how this works. So um, I was laid off of my job at the time. I was working as a uh, uh, director of engineering for a company and my company got acquired and they went in, they changed the whole management team. So I will, they will let me go because I want to bring down people. Long story short. Um, so at that point, I said, all right, well, I don't have a job anymore. So I started this whole thing. Uh, I have the socks. Now I need to figure out how to make it. So I, I went in and cashed out my 401k money, took 20k and bought a machine. It takes, a lot a of, machine. takes a lot of nuts. <laughs> yeah, yeah. At this point, you know, uh, that's why going back to, to the, the, the whole story growing up and, you know, escaping and all that. I said, you know, you know, I risked my life already. So, you know, what else do to do this? So um, 
I went all in and I, I got a machine installed in my garage. I got an air compressor hookup. Electrician came over, hook up air compressor, and here I am. So I have this custom-made, you know, uh, jig that can apply the coating, which he did a little coating, rub out on what you uh, to the bottom of the sock. So I was spent hours and hours in my garage. I, I, I have the compressor set up. I have this, this machine that has six rotating arm. One arm, will up, the first operation, it apply the, the coating. And then the second op- operation, apply the dot. And then go to this another arm, will heat it up and dry it. Sounds simple, but it's not. So I will spend hour and hour. So what I learned that the, the socks are made of material called uh, polyester. And then the, the ink I used at the time, which I didn't know any better. The ink they used were for clothing as peril, which is not the, the same type ink or rubber, if I call now, at the bottom of the shoe, because it's two different material. The one is more industrial grade, the other one more just on your shirt. So I try to take something that for apparel and try to put at the bottom of the, the socks and then try to have fewer workout in these. So I would spend, God know, hours and hours in my garage, 10 to 12 hours a day working it. And then what I learned is it would take a certain temperature for the ink to heat up in order to cure properly. But there's a, then within that temperature frame, there's about a 5 or 10 degree difference before the sock will melt. Mm, so, they, so you they, had a small window. <laughs> yeah, yeah, to work with. I didn't know. So I tried to say, what, what is this going on? It's like, um, so I look up everything. I start to look up different gel that can apply to the outside so it doesn't burn the socks. If it doesn't burn the socks, and then it's, it, it becomes too, um, it doesn't burn the socks, but it's not applying enough heat, so it's not dry on the outside. Long story short, hours and hours trying testing, and then I have to call the ink company go around, ask them, all right, I need something stronger. So they put me to the chemist. I talked to the chemist. They mix a different ink. I went and tried, tried again. Finally, after burning, I literally burned hundreds of socks to make a pair. Then I take that pair. I'll go to the logo gym. I'll say, guy, this is a new barefoot socks. Um, that, you know, this whole idea of barefoot, I want you to try. And I say, all right, you know, they, they, they keep seeing me here again. So they try, and as soon as they try it on, do a, a a turkey's get up or kettlebell swing, the weight, you, know, you take somebody 180 pounds, you put some weight on it and they start to move, the mm-hmm. ink just come right off. So here we back to square one again. So I go back to my garage again, call up the, the guy again. And since the, uh, since the machine was uh, burning the shoes, you, so as a trick to get more people to adopt the kinnis, this is what I would have done. I would have said, <laughs> hey, give me your sneakers and you could try these on. And so they try the kinest on, I have their sneakers. And then I'd use my machine at home to burn their sneakers. So they had no choice <laughs> but to use the kinest shoes. And that would have been my method of adoption is that I will uh, you either buy or burn. That, that would be my <laughs> slogan. <laughs> That's pretty good. That I, I wish I thought of that, but I, I wasn't smart <laughs> enough to think of that. So I went back to my garage, like a crazy experience. You know, I don't know why I don't know. So I, I just, I will have machine and then I'll Google right next to it or I'll YouTube right next to it. Literally, that's how I learn everything. Um, it's the best way, I call, YouTube University. I call and call YouTube and that's exactly, I learn different language, I learn different material. So long to stories, after almost three months or so, uh, fail experience in my garage, I decided, all right, uh, at that point, you know, um, I decided that 
we need to take this operation overseas because in order for us to make something that consider uh, industrial use or have some sort of uh, durability, we need to take this overseas. So I sold the machine. Uh, I sold that for $8,000. I lost 12K uh, in three months. And, and the guy from New York coming down, he bought it. And I, I gave him a air compressor for free <laughs> as well. So I took that $8,000 and then decided to go to, to China to set up an, an overseas operation. Well, I don't know anybody in China, so I have to Google everything. So I started to contact all the supply online and say, all right, we have a company, but we didn't have a company. I'm the only person in the company. But I will, I will say that we have a, a five or six of us. We want to do this, this. So, um, uh, so they, they would talk to me. That, that's a trick that I use sometimes over email is when, I, when I'm talking to someone who's interested in sponsoring the podcast uh, or something business related, I always say we or us, like making Oxoro like a team, even though it's mostly me. I do have uh, Manoa is a great videographer. He's amazing. And then I also use another guy, Alex to help me out with audio, but I'll always try to make myself seem way bigger than I am to try to trick people into working with me. And then my rationale is that if I deliver a good product, then they're not going to care. So I, I, I just talk about myself like I'm running uh, like Amazon or something and, it, and it's just a, a one person podcast. <laughs> that, that's exactly that I use because that's the only way because when you deal with an overseas operation like that, you know, these guys would usually take the 10,000 pair order or 50,000 pair order. Nobody wanted to uh, work with a startup who making something in between. You need a sewer sock. So that, that way it would be challenging. So um, before I left, after I learned a lot about the socks, the material, I know that in order for this work, we need to have to come up with something stronger than socks. So um, luckily, so I thought, do a lot of research and I came across material called Spectra. Well, it, Spectra, and, and it happened to be that Honeywell have a plant right outside in my hometown, uh, high performing uh, material division. So I reached out to them and told them what I want to do and went out. And they were very. And honey, um, Honeywell makes Spectra? They're yes. The, yes. Okay. yes. Uh, that's part of their, yes, one of their products. Yes. So I went out and they were very uh, generous to have a meeting with me. And I told them what I do. And this is the first time anybody actually used their product to make a, a socks before. Now, Spectra is a material that's by powerful power is 15 times stronger than steel. It's developed oh, wow. to use it in industrial uh, application, and they use this to make um, bullet vests for the law enforcement. That's how strong material mm. is, stronger than Kevlar. So I went out and talked to them and, and got in touch with their team, and uh, they were able to send me some sample. And, and um, we all, the, up to this point, I think we're the only person that used their products. And I went over to China, um, uh, first time in China, um, and met with their team in Shanghai and worked with the engineer. Uh, but China, again, that's, uh, that's, that I can save that for another conversation because I learned a lot in China. Now, I'm Vietnamese, I'm not Chinese. So I went to China, I blend in, but I don't speak the language. So that's mm. my, my challenge. So I went out and I had to travel from Shanghai all the way to Hong Kong, visit every single factory. I would spend a month in China. Uh, again, mm. going to every factory, telling them what we do. A lot of people think we are, I'm crazy. Again, it's only the we. I would set up different email address that uh, a marketing person, uh, a designer person that I go yeah. back to the hotel, I will switch a different email address, different title. That's how I send my email uh, yeah. to different team. 
you you have your uh, girlfriend answer the phone as your your secretary or something, and then you're just like, wait one moment, he'll be right here, and then she just hands you it over. But that uh, yeah, I went in and and luckily you know we we were I were able to um, get connect with some really um, very generous people uh, people who believe in Kenneth from the beginning, um, and we've been working together since you know 2018 and and. Um, and lot a lot of mistake along the way. We learn a lot along the way, and I mm. think the beauty of this, looking back, that since we didn't, I didn't have any shoe or footwear experience. It got it where we are because we look at footwear from a different perspective. Yeah, that's it's a lot of trial, error, and uh, burns to get through to put out the product that you have today, and. I know you have a hard cutoff in a few minutes. I wanted to ask you one more thing, which is, do you envision Kinnis as a company that will extend barefoot footwear into the realm of just the casual walking shoe? So someone that is not looking for fitness or, or not, maybe even not concerned about fitness, but they want to wear it out at night per se, instead of boots or, or Converse, do you envision partnering with people to make it something that could replace a casual walking shoe, even for the people that are, are not concerned with fitness? Absolutely. And that's our long-term goal. Our long-term goal to, to be able to bring a product to as many, pos- many people as possible. And you can see that, um, We've been around for four years, but we only have three products. The reason for that is because we want to focus on uh, talking about the reason why we do what we do. So to to your question, the Lucy's in everyday active shoe, that shoe is for everyone, anyone. We have customers, and they're 80 years old wearing Lucy. And the Lucy uh, and the Apollo Pro, they both received the American approval, the seal approval from the American Podiatric Medical Association. So we look at, and that's why we will always continue to refine the products. Um, our products, in, um, yes, they are depend on what the application for, but we, when you look at a, an everyday shoe for everyone and anyone, the, the Lucy Active shoe is something we recommend. Um, you don't have to be you know, an athlete, you don't have to train, but the best thing you can do for your body is to walk in a product that, that promotes that natural foot and body biomechanic, which is the Lucy. Yeah, I've I've worn these out a couple of times in place of boots and it looks good. I, I wear a lot of black, so I like the offset of the black and cream. Yeah. And I could even see a lot of, uh, for future partnerships down the line, stand-up comedians, music artists, people that are on their feet all the time performing on stage yeah. that would, uh, I, I'm sure, have a lot of foot problems. And then once you conquer barefoot walking shoes on earth, then that's when you partner with Elon Musk and then you make a barefoot walking spacesuit for Mars. The, yeah. the first people to uh, step on Mars will be wearing uh, a Kinnis barefoot spacesuit. That would be awesome. I think we, 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 I think that the future for us is really bring technology into our products and that's something that we're discussing already. Um, and what we want to do is bring sensor into our footwear products. That, that's an option for people. I mean, they're, they're there are products for everyone, but I think we can, with technology and, and the um, 
you know, the, the sensor market actually grown, and that's something that we look into in the future, bring yeah. a smart footwear product to the market. Um, that will collect data and analyze, give you the end user the right feedback, and they can make adjustment uh, as that fit for them. Uh, but yeah, we, we, we are excited about the future, and I think, um, you know, I think barefoot training or barefoot walking is not something new, but I think in the last 50 years has been in the back burner, uh, but I think it's now to bring that concept back and and have uh, it deliver a positive impact to as many people as possible. Thank you. Thank you so much, Vincent, for your time. It really was a pleasure. Where can people find Kinnis and follow Kinnis? Yeah, absolutely. You, um, we are at kinnis.com, K-I-N-I-S.com. And uh, you can follow us on Kinnis Barefoot on Instagram. We're very active. We have a lot of videos to talk about, you know, the why, the reason why is important for us to move in the most natural way. Yeah, guys, go check it out. I'll put something in the link of the podcast description, wherever you're watching or listening to this as well. And thank you again so much, Vincent, for your time. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much, Zach, for having me on. Thank you again, uh, the audience, for allowing us to share our story with everyone. What's up, guys? Thank you for listening to this episode of the podcast. Before you go, this is a reminder for you guys that I'm dropping bonus episodes on Auxoro Premium. For less than five bucks per month, you get a two-hour bonus episode every month of my show, The Aux, that covers exciting and sometimes twisted topics like MK Ultra, the COVID lab leak, Tim Dillon, Tom Cruise, the Tuskegee experiment, the obesity epidemic, and more. You also get monthly solo episodes with my takes on drugs, sex, money, creativity, mindfulness, and you have the ability to support submit topic suggestions for both of my shows, The Aux and The Auxoro Podcast. Expect three hours of new exclusive podcast content per month, including access to all archived episodes found nowhere else but Auxoro Premium. For less than five bucks per month, come join the premium gang today at auxoro.supercast.com. That's auxoro.supercast.com for the best deal in premium podcasting. See you there.